0: Well, we are in the season of Advent, as was mentioned earlier in the service, uh, this preparatory season uh, leading us into Christmas, taking us into Christmas, and we are starting a brand new sermon series for Advent that I am really excited about. Uh, We saw the bumper video just now. The name of the series is The Gospel in Scrooge, The Gospel in Scrooge. And Scrooge, as I think all of us know, um, he is the protagonist. In other words, he's the main character, the principal character of Charles Dickens' classic novella, A Christmas Carol. How many of you have read A Christmas Carol? Or how many of you are familiar with A Christmas Carol? Yeah, pretty much all of us are. Uh, A Christmas Carol is probably the most recognized story about Christmas, apart from the real Christmas story uh, that we find in the Bible. Uh, Charles Dickens first published A Christmas Carol 178 years ago. 178 years ago. Uh, The book was released. uh, We have the date up here. On December 19th, 1843, uh, just six days before the Christmas holiday, And, of course, at that point, Charles Dickens was already a popular writer. He had already made a name for himself in England. And so the first print sold out in four days by December 23rd. And to the best of my knowledge, it has never been out of print. It has withstood uh, the test of time. Uh, It's just a really recognized story um, about Christmas. And, you know, what's really interesting about A Christmas Carol, too, is that it really changed the way that people celebrated Christmas. Uh, You see, Christmas at that point in the 1800s, it wasn't necessarily celebrated the same way that it is today. Um, Christmas was certainly acknowledged. The birth of Jesus was acknowledged. But Christmas was kind of seen as just another ordinary day. Uh, There weren't necessarily all these parties, all these festivities associated with Christmas. And Charles Dickens wanted to change that. Charles Dickens wanted to get people excited about Christmas, looking forward to Christmas. Uh, Not only that, but Charles Dickens wanted to draw a clear link A clear line of connection between the birth of Jesus and caring for the poor and needy, looking after the vulnerable, being kind, being compassionate, being considerate to the people around us. And finally, Charles Dickens wanted to demonstrate that at its core, at its essence, Christmas is about redemption. It doesn't matter if we're mean, if we're bitter, if we're nasty like poor Lebanese or Scrooge, none of us are beyond the saving love that was made real at Christmas, amen? Now, before we dive into the first message, what I wanna do first is I wanna say a quick word about the name of the series. Notice, we're not calling this series The Gospel According to Scrooge. What are we calling this series? The Gospel in Scrooge. And that difference might seem small, but it's actually pretty important. Uh, The gospel that we're gonna be talking about in this sermon series, it's not the gospel of Ebenezer Scrooge, it's not the gospel of Charles Dickens, It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the good news of Jesus Christ that we find in the Bible. What we're going to be doing is we're going to be seeing how the gospel of Jesus Christ is illustrated to us, conveyed to us, communicated to us in the Scrooge story. Uh, What's interesting about A Christmas Carol is that the story itself is not explicitly Christian. Apart from the fact that Tiny Tim says at the very end, God bless us, everyone, this is not an explicitly Christian story. And yet the themes... The Charles Dickens tackles, caring for the poor, being kind, being generous, redemption. These are gospel themes, aren't they? That come straight from the Bible. And so Pastor Will and I are excited about exploring these themes with you um, over the next few weeks. The series begins this morning. It's going to last through the entire season of Advent. Uh, We'll wrap it up, no pun intended, but we'll wrap it up on Christmas Eve. And so uh, let's dive into the first message. So as the story opens up, and you probably already know this, we meet this guy named Ebenezer Scrooge. And just saying the name Scrooge is enough to give us chills, right? Is Scrooge a nice guy? No, and that's understating the point. Scrooge is not nice. He is mean. He is bitter. He is angry. He is heartless. He is selfish. He is cantankerous. And if there's one thing that Scrooge cannot stand, And there's lots that he can't stand. But if there's one thing he especially cannot stand, it's Christmas time. There are two words that Scrooge associates with Christmas. What are they? Bah humbug. Now, how many of you know what a humbug is? Yeah. I wasn't sure what a humbug was until I was uh, working on this message. And so I looked it up online. Uh, Basically, humbug is an old English word that means imposter. In other words, for Scrooge, Christmas is a farce, It's a fake. It's a phony. It's a ridiculous holiday. It's a made-up season. It's not worth celebrating. And so, as the story opens up, Scrooge is sitting at the desk of his business called Scrooge and Marley. He's owned this business for a while. Um, It's Christmas Eve. Christmas is the very next day. Uh, It's cold outside. Scrooge's clerk, what's his name? His clerk? Bob Cratchit. He's sitting over in the corner, and he's freezing to death because Scrooge is cheap. He's only put one piece of coal in the furnace. And then who should come inside the office on Christmas Eve but Scrooge's nephew. Do you remember his name? Not Jacob Marley. We'll talk more about him in a moment. His nephew, Fred. Fred. And Fred is the only living relative of Scrooge. Um, He's the son of Scrooge's late sister, to whom Scrooge was very close. And we'll talk more about her next week. And why has Fred come to see Scrooge? Because he has come to invite him to Christmas dinner at his house. Scrooge, though, rejects Fred's invitation, and he doesn't just reject it. He rejects it in the strongest possible way. This is what he says to his nephew, Fred. Out upon Merry Christmas, what's Christmas time to you, Fred, but a time for paying bills without money, a time for finding yourself a year older, but not an hour richer? If I could work my will, said Scrooge indignantly. In other words, if I could have my way. Every idiot who goes about with Merry Christmas on his lips should be boiled with his own pudding and buried with a stake of folly through his heart. He should. And so we get the uh, idea that Scrooge is miserable. (laughs) Charles Dickens, what a great writer. Uh, He does a masterful job of painting Scrooge in the worst possible way. In fact, that word Scrooge has made its way into our vocabulary today, right? If we call somebody a Scrooge, we're not complimenting that person. We're not encouraging that person or building that person up. We are accusing that person of being mean, miserable, bitter, just like Scrooge at the beginning of A Christmas Carol. And folks, that actually brings us to the first gospel lesson that we glean from the Scrooge story. If you're taking notes during the sermon, if you're somebody who takes notes, I would invite you to write this down. The first gospel lesson, there is a Scrooge in everybody. There is a Scrooge in everybody. Now, I realize that Scrooge is an extreme example of somebody gone bad, but if we're honest, he's really no different than the rest of us. We might do a better job of hiding it than he does, but he's no different. We're not always kind, are we? We're not always loving, we're not always generous, we're not always gracious, we're not always compassionate. Sometimes we can be downright mean, and we can do things that lack conscience. But this is not how we generally see ourselves. Instead, we like to see ourselves as really good people, really decent people, maybe even better than most of the people around us. Uh, There was this little boy who was writing a letter to Santa Claus. You remember writing letters to Santa Claus when you were a kid? Uh, Nowadays, I'm told that kids text Santa Claus or they email Santa Claus. uh, But this is an older story because this kid was actually writing a letter. In the letter, this is what he said. He said, Dear Santa, There are three boys who live in this house. There's Jeffrey, he's two. There's David, he's four. There's Norman, he's seven. Jeffrey is good, some of the time. David is good, most of the time. Norman is good, all of the time. Do You wanna guess who wrote the letter? Then he said, my name is Norman. Remember that Santa, when you come visit this Christmas. A lot of us laugh, we find that cute, humorous, amusing. But how many of us are ourselves that way as kids? How many of us still see ourselves that way as adults? <laughs> but here's the deal. Even as a kid, I knew in the depth of who I was, I was a nearly as good as I had led myself to believe. There were times and there were instances in which Scrooge showed up in me. In fact, as I was working on the sermon, uh, there's one story that comes to mind. Uh, I was about nine years old and my dad was traveling for work. Uh, he would travel for work a lot when I was a kid. So normally during the week, I was at home with my mom, my brother, and my sister, the four of us. And so one evening when I was nine years old, as my dad was traveling, uh, my mom and sister were watching TV in the back of the house. Me, mom, my brother, and I, we shared a bedroom, and so we were playing with our toys in the bedroom. Uh, I don't exactly remember all of what transpired, but all of a sudden, our plane turned into roughhousing, our roughhousing turned into fighting, and then our fighting turned into full blown out Mortal Kombat. And those of you who had siblings growing up, you probably know what I'm talking about. Now here's what you have to understand. Whenever my brother and I fought, uh, we would never just stay in one room. Uh, We would move around the entire house. Sometimes we would even go outside. In fact, I remember one time a neighbor had to break us up. Uh, We would even go outside because He and I, we had this unspoken understanding between the two of us. I don't think we ever verbalized this, but there was this unspoken understanding that whoever got the last punch was actually the winner of the fight. So what would happen is my brother would punch me and then he would run away and then I would grab him by the back of his shirt and I would punch him and then I would run away. It's kind of weird, but that's just how we fought. So here we are, we're fighting and we ended up taking our fight from our bedroom into the bathroom just off our parents' bedroom. And again, my mom and sister, they're just watching TV. They don't know what we're doing. Well, by this point, both of us were exhausted. We had probably been fighting for a few minutes. And so he gives me one last shove. He pushes me on the ground and then he runs away. He closes the door behind him and I was ticked off. I was just enraged. I could feel this anger welling up within me, but I was way too tired to go after him. So when I stood up, I took the door and I just shoved it open as hard as I possibly could. On the other side of the door was the mirror that was attached to it. It actually was scaled to fit the entirety of the door, and then up against the wall was my parents' dresser. You see where this is going? So when I shoved the door open as hard as I could, the door hit up against the dresser. It cracked the mirror in half. I went stiff. My skin went pale. I started to sweat bullets. I was panicking, my heart was racing, my mouth went dry. In my mind, I pictured my mom, I knew exactly what she was gonna say. You just wait until your father gets home. (laughs) And so, I'm trying to come up with an idea, how am I gonna get out of this? And then all of a sudden, something popped into my mind. I don't have the reputation of my family of having the bad temper. My brother had that reputation. So, I found my mom before she or anybody else knew anything about the door. And I said, mom, mom, you gotta come see what Ryan just did. (laughs) And so I tried to pin it on him. Now, if it makes us feel any better, did I get away with it? No, my mom was way too smart for that. Uh, The truth came out, we both got punished, but I can't say I didn't try. And the weird thing is, at the time, I knew what I was doing was wrong. I was nine years old. I knew that being dishonest is wrong, lying is wrong. And a part of me didn't want to do it. But another part of me said, well, who cares about your brother? Who cares if you're lying to your mom? You got to worry about yourself. And so it's almost as if there was this war going on within me, this inner war that was taking place within me between what I knew was right, what I knew was wrong, and the wrong part went out. It wasn't until I got older and I began to read the Bible, and I began to study Scripture, that I realized that this battle that was taking place within me as a nine-year-old is actually the very phenomenon that the Apostle Paul writes about in Romans 7. So take a listen. This is from Romans chapter 7, select verses from this text. Again, this is Paul writing. He says, I don't really understand myself. How many of us don't understand ourselves fully? I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. I have discovered, Paul says, this principle of life. Let's read this next part together. That when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. When I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. Does this describe anybody else here? It's as if Paul is writing about me. And in truth, Paul is writing about me, but he's not just writing about Chris Jones, he's writing about you. He's writing about all of us. Paul is describing the human condition that deep inside all of us as human beings is something not good, something bad, something corrupt, something that makes us lash out and act like Scrooge does at the beginning of a Christmas carol, even when we don't want to act like Scrooge does at the beginning of a Christmas carol. And there's actually a word for what Paul is talking about here, a theological term. Does anybody know what it is? It's sin. What's the middle letter of the word sin? I. I. When it comes down to it, that's all about us. Uh, And what we have to understand about sin is that sin is universal. It has affected, it has infected everybody. Sin manifests itself in a variety of ways, but it's something that we all deal with. And here's the other truth about sin. Sin. Sin is evidenced by the bad that we do and the good that we fail to do. But folks, sin is so much more than the bad that we do and the good that we fail to do. At its deepest level, sin is a relational issue. Sin tears us from God, the very one who made us for himself, but sin doesn't simply tear us from God. From whom does sin tear us? It also tears us from each other. Sin tore me that night as a nine-year-old from God but it also tore me from my mom, my brother, two people who who I love dearly, just like tore Ebenezer, Scrooge, from God and the people around him. I mean, think about this. Here Fred comes. He's only living relative. He has no other kin. Fred comes to graciously extend an invitation to Christmas dinner at his house, and what does Scrooge do? insults him, calls him poor, throws the invitation back in his face, tells him to get out of there. So Fred leaves. And by this point, the sun has set, it's getting laid out. Again, it's Christmas Eve, Scrooge knows that it's time to close up shop. Well, Bob Cratchit had asked Scrooge if he could get off for Christmas. And Scrooge says, okay, but listen, and you need to come in earlier the next day. Then Scrooge puts on his cap, his scarf, he heads home. As Scrooge arrives home, he begins to notice all these really strange occurrences. Like, for example, there's the image of a human face on the door knocker. I think we've got an illustration about this. But then the image suddenly goes away. And then as he heads upstairs, the occurrences get even more bizarre. He starts to hear all these really weird noises. And then suddenly Scrooge finds himself confronted by his old business partner. What was his name? Jacob Marley. Now, what's really weird here is that Marley is dead. In fact, that's the very first sentence of a Christmas carol. The very first sentence is, Marley was dead to begin with. Marley had died seven years ago on Christmas Eve that very night. And Marley comes wearing these chains, these long, heavy, imposing chains, And Marley tells Scrooge that he forged these chains in life through his acts of greed. And that Scrooge has such a chain waiting for him upon death. Actually, Scrooge's chain is even worse than Marley's chain because Scrooge's chain was just as long as Marley's when Marley died. But now Scrooge has had seven additional years to forge it. His chain is truly horrendous. And actually, if we think about it, Marley's visit to Scrooge parallels the real Christmas story and what happened in Bethlehem. Because when it comes down to it, Christmas is about God's pursuit of us as human beings. One of the questions I get asked most often as a pastor is why God made us. Well, the whole reason God made us, the whole reason God created us and put us together in his image is that God wants a relationship with us. That is God's highest agenda for us. That is God's top priority for us, to have a relationship with us and for us to have a relationship with each other. But then as we discover in Scripture... Sin came into creation and just messed all that up. Sin just threw a wrench on all that. But rather than giving up on us, rather than saying to hell with human beings, I'm done with them, I'm gonna wipe them away, God began this process of pursuing us, chasing after us, coming after us. We see that pursuit all throughout the Old Testament from the very moment Adam and Eve rebelled against God's perfect love. And then God's pursuit of us as human beings found culmination in the person of Jesus Christ. Make no mistake about it. The cry of baby Jesus from a manger in Bethlehem is God's way of crying out to you and to me and to all of humanity, there is nothing I won't do to be in relationship with you. There is nothing I won't do to redeem and restore you. Jesus came to our planet with the intent of destroying our chains, destroying the sin within us, this sin that keeps us from God and keeps us from one another. The title of my sermon is, An Unexpected Visit. And obviously the reason for that is because of Marley's visit to Scrooge, but that's not the only reason. Because the real Christmas story actually starts with an unexpected visit. It starts when the angel Gabriel is sent from heaven by God to a young woman named Mary to announce God's plan of salvation for all humanity. So check out what it says here. Uh, This is from Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, and by the way, you may recall that Elizabeth was a relative of Mary. Um, She was pregnant at this time with John the Baptist. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, I love these two words here, God sent. Can somebody say God sent? God sent. God is the main agent. God is the primary agent. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary. and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. I love this scene. For so long, humanity had been trapped by sin, chained down by sin. And yet Gabriel explains to Mary, this young woman who's probably 13, 14 years old, because that's the age in which women got married back then, But Gabriel explains to this young woman named Mary, that's no longer going to be the case. Deliverance is on the horizon. And just like Scrooge is told by Marley that he's going to be visited by three spirits, Gabriel tells Mary that pretty soon, all of humanity is going to be visited by God's salvation in Jesus Christ. Uh, We're in the season of Advent, as we mentioned. And Advent actually comes with the Latin word, adventus, which means coming or arrival. Think about this. This is mind-boggling. God came to our planet. God visited our world. We were incapable of getting to God. But God, out of love, came to us, condescended to us. A J. J. Bonhoeffer, who was a theologian back in the 1900s, um, he actually at one point was imprisoned in a Nazi cell before the Nazis killed him. This is what he said one point about Advent. He said, a prison cell, and again, he wrote these words from a prison cell, a prison cell in which one waits, hopes, and does various unessential things and is completely dependent on the fact that the door of freedom has to be opened from the outside is not a bad picture of Advent. We couldn't open the door of freedom. God opened it for us. I'm sure all of us remember what happened three and a half years ago, summer of 2018, over in Thailand. Uh, there were those 12 boys and their soccer coach who were trapped in the cave. You remember that story? Um, my understanding is the boys and their coach had gone inside that cave. There was some bad weather that took place. Basically, the walls of the cave started coming down, and so they were trapped inside. They were basically two and a half miles deep within that cave, Oxygen was running out. There was no way that they were gonna make it out alive apart from the most drastic of measures. And those measures were taken. As you might remember, the rescue team had to go to each individual, took them hours and hours to get to one person, hours and hours to get one person outside. But the rescue team went to those measures because they had determined that the lives of those boys and their coach were important. And so if you have heard nothing else this morning, please hear this right now. You are important to God. You matter to God. You matter to God so much that even when you were chained down by your sin, incapable of getting to God, God and Jesus Christ came to you. God visited you. God visited us with God's salvation. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.